It's really important to note that the e-commerce businesses have to make an effort as well, though, right? Like you can't just go, oh, online's better, so I'll move everything online and not worry about what I'm doing. It means going online and looking at all the different aspects in which you can reduce your impact as a company as well. So whether that's who you're hosting with, the servers that they're based on, the energy that it uses, how you're delivering your products, how you're storing your products, and of course, the products that you create as well. Hello and welcome to the Ecom Ops Podcast. We believe that there is more than enough content focused on e-commerce marketing and not enough content celebrating the real heroes of e-commerce, those running the operation. Each week, we find and interview an e-commerce operations expert to share the secrets behind how some of this industry's most exciting businesses are run. I'm your host, Norbert Strappler, the CEO of SingSpider. Hello and welcome to another Ecom Ops podcast. Today I am proud to talk with Thomas and Hugo from Greener. And this is really a great project that I really, really like. But let's let them tell us a bit more about the project. Guys, welcome to the show. I know that. Thank you for having us. Great, great to have you guys. So who want to start? Tell me a bit more about Greener. I can definitely give it a shot. <laughs> um, so greener.co.uk um, is a platform that's being built to make sustainable living just living. Um, we're all aware of how complicated it is to shop sustainably, um, whether we don't know what the terms mean or why a product is more sustainable um, or whether we just don't know where to find the products themselves. So for us, it was looking at that fragmented sector and working out what we can do to make it easier, more accessible and more fun to shop sustainably in the mainstream. So Greener is a multi-vendor marketplace which brings ethical vetted brands which are selling better impact products into one place where we also show the carbon emissions, water waste and plastic waste that is saved when you buy that product compared to its mainstream counterpart. Um, the big thing for us was just making that whole process super streamlined so consumers and individuals would be able to know that they can come to the platform, buy these products and know that they're having a better impact when doing so. Oh, that's really great. I love this. We worked also with companies um, in, in Austria doing something similar called Less Plastic. So it's a really cool approach and it really can help us save the environment. Now, how did you guys came into e-commerce and how did you came to the idea of doing such a, yeah, a great stuff? Yeah, I mean, kind of by accident originally. <laughs> um, I think um, we have, we've both worked in the climate sector and sort of governmental and startups, um, as well as our other co-founder, Emma, as well, for a number of years, sort of over a decade now. Um, but when we... With my first company, um, we were dealing with product waste. So what happens at the end of a product's life, life cycle, basically, and what happens where, whether it goes to landfill, whether it's reused, recycled, repurposed, any of those things. And one of the things that we realized when we were doing that was that ultimately we need to buy better to begin with, right? It's all very well dealing with the symptoms of this problem, but really we need to tackle the source of the problem. So it made a natural progression for us to go from dealing with consumer products in a sense, to then looking at how we can deal with where people are buying, what they're buying, and the impact that that has as well. Um, so for me, it was definitely coming from having a company which was already dealing with consumer product waste and then just wanting to move to the source of that problem as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, nice. Great. 
And you said uh, Greener is a, a marketplace, yeah? And what software do you use to run that marketplace? Go, you go if you want. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, we're, we're built on Shopify. Um, we have a lot of uh, custom code that's going on behind the scenes that does all the marketplace work. Um, so we're really um, focusing at the moment on Shopify brands, but we can also work with any brand um, that is working on other platforms as well, like WooCommerce, Magento, et cetera. Um, but really, we're just focused on making it as easy as possible for our vendors to work with us. Um, as Thomas said earlier, it's about that streamlining everything. So you know, not just for the consumer, uh, the shopper, but also for the vendors as well. So we've really built out that, that back-end system behind it over the last couple of months. Um, and we're really excited to take that to launch. Awesome. Yeah, That's think... cool. Did you build your backend your own or do you use any kind of plugin for the marketplace? I mean, uh, there are a lot of multi-vendor plugins as far as I know, but did you build yeah. yours, we, your own? We looked at a couple out there and, um, you know, they, they tend to look quite promising. But um, when you sort of really dig into it and look at the, you know, the, the specific things that you look, you'd like to do, you tend to run into problems. So really, we've actually built that custom ourselves, which is you know really exciting. No, this, is, this is really exciting because I know what kind of work you need to have <laughs> to build this up. Yeah. And what's really exciting about it is, is that we own that, you know, we can build on that. We can build that out. We can, you know, that's our own, our own offering. That's our own product and IP. So, um, yeah, that's, that's exciting and, and something that, you know, we don't think we've really seen before. That's cool. That's really cool. You, just you to do... come in, Norbert, if I can just quickly interject. Yeah, please. Don't, don't <laughs> um, worry. Go just one of the reasons for using Shopify, um, but then also sort of bringing custom code into that as well, was that Shopify is very good from a consumer-facing perspective. It, you know, people understand that they they're used to that sort of front end, and then from a sort of vendor or a e-commerce perspective, it's very easy to manipulate and use as well. But for us, because we have impact data and quite a lot of like custom content management as well, we've had to. The reason for sort of manipulating the Shopify code is so that we can push those to the front end as well. So it's taking what is already there on the shelf as a sort of MVP, if you like, and then building upon that to allow us to offer our own unique offering to consumers, but also to vendors, as Hugo says. And that's why we chose to manipulate it rather than just go with something out of the box. I like that you mentioned uh, Shopify is really um, a great piece of sh of software, and uh, one of the most important things and and facts is it's stable. Yeah. It's fast and it's stable and it's reliable. Exactly. And um, building something around that, and if you can solve it with that, is is for sure a good um, a good plan. Yeah. So uh, the the idea is is actually great. I mean, do you run on Shopify still or Shopify Plus already? Shopify advanced, I think, the, the sort yeah. of second tier up. We don't need Shopify Plus right now. And to be honest, the longer term plans for our build, because we'll be bringing in future features into that, that, that stack, um, it means that over time we'll actually move away from Shopify. So for us, it makes sense to utilize what we can from Shopify on a, you know, on the Shopify advanced without having to sort of go up to that next tier of payment. Um, but then, you know, in the background, we can be sort of rebuilding to allow us to scale quicker, um, but also to be able to bring in some of those future features as well. Okay, that's fine. Good. You define Greener as a community. Could you elaborate a bit more on that? Yeah, I think one of the things that community is such a buzz, buzzword right now, right? Everyone oh, yeah. wants to talk about their sure. community. <laughs> um, but one of the things that's sort of rung true from 
um, from the work that we've done previously, but also taking into greener is having a sense of the people around you are as much a part of that company and the growth of that company as you are as founders. So from my background working with Greenpeace, which is you know the largest independent environmental organization in the world, that is all about bringing people together. They're independent because they're only supported by individuals. And then when I went into my first company, it was dealing with people's, you know, the products that they were finishing with and didn't know what to do with after at the end of that. So it was all about people again. And so with Greener, for us, we've got sort of two groups of our community which are coming together um, to build this great movement to buy better overall. And that is the people who are making these amazing products. So the vendors who are selling on our platform and then the people who are buying them. And together, when you bring them together in an actual community, not just the buzzword of a community, <laughs> um, you can actually make some really impressive and exciting change. So anything from publicity campaigns to actually doing stuff on the tech and then working with the vendors and helping them grow as well. So for us, it's not just about building a marketplace where you can and buy and sell products but it's about bringing all the people who are involved with that on both sides of that platform together to sort of build resource to build growth all together but also to help each other and to sort of progress the climate movement in a way which is accessible to more people mm -hmm. that's great well there are reports indicating that more than 57 of the uk online shoppers worry that uh, the rise of online shopping is a threat to the environment. What are the opportunities that you can come out uh, of this and, and how can Greener leverage those opportunities? Yeah, sure. So I'll just jump here. It's an interesting one. And, and actually, there are quite a few studies that's, that show that online shopping can actually create fewer emissions um, than brick and mortar. Yeah. Um, that's for a number of reasons. It, it's taking cars off the road and it's, it's, it's making, um, making that system a lot more efficient. You know, there's, for example, there's an I'm, MIT report that looked at um, e-commerce versus brick and mortar and found that it could lead to 36% lower emissions. And almost every single case that they looked at, it reduced emissions. Um, so I think, I think with especially with circular delivery routes, um, you know, in this country we have Royal Mail, which is you know an amazing um, delivery system that is sort of out there every day. Um, which many of our vendors use, and which is already electrifying their fleet on you know huge levels. It's making that that system so much better. So not not you know not to um, take into account the fact that you know lots of people want to shop in store. Um, we know you know from the huge meteoric rise of Amazon, people want to shop online. But we know that lots of people feel guilty about that. In fact, more than a third of people in the UK feel guilty about buying on Amazon and want to yep. buy on better places. Um, so it's really about offering that um, and actually just showing all the ways that this is actually better, um, you know, from our electric um, and, and, and green um, delivery options. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really just about, you know, giving that in a, in a much more accessible way. Um, so I, I think, you know, in, in a way that actually it, that isn't a huge issue. So you think actually that, um, or, or it's proven actually that the e-commerce business is less harmful for the environment than brick and mortar stores? There's quite a few, quite a few studies around this actually, mm -hmm. which is it's really interesting because I think I think you know there's an element of of communicating that um, to to consumers, which is in essence what we're all about. It's about kind of communicating these complex environmental um, issues and the bigger picture. And actually, when you look at it, um, there's yeah lots of studies that say otherwise. Actually, mm -hmm. I think you know it's really important to note that that. Yeah, The e-commerce businesses have to make an effort as well, though, right? Like you can't just go, oh, online's better, so I'll move everything online and not worry about what I'm doing. It means 
going online and looking at all the different aspects in which you can reduce your impact as a company as well. So whether that's who you're hosting with, the servers that they're based on, the energy that it uses, how you're delivering your products, how you're storing your products, and of course, the products that you create as well. Now, obviously, some of those things will cross over into brick and mortar as well. But one of the things, as Hugo says, is that all of the things that are sort of online or that are the availability of e-commerce stores are so much easier to make greener than if they have a brick and mortar store or if you're relying on people coming into a place to buy from your brick and mortar store. So actually, there's a sense of having to work for that as a company as much as it is going to be easier to do so anyway. Yeah. Well, I need to agree. When you just need to imagine when you go to a brick and mortar store, you need to drive there somehow and you need to find, 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 find a place to park or you have maybe um, some kind of uh, um, yeah uh, um, bus or what else how you come there but you need to come there you need to get there and actually packaging okay is the other side but you also have packaging also in the brick and mortar stores so yeah it, made, it makes total sense that that this could be um, less less harmful but how, how can e-commerce businesses optimize their waste management. What do you think? I mean, there is a lot of waste with, with all this kind of additional packaging you need to, to transport uh, the goods. Yeah, I think you know one of the things that's really important to note is that when you're buying from a marketplace with stocks the products so if they have the products themselves and you know from their different vendors then it's much easier to get products in one sort of package right so then you're reducing the amount of packaging that you might get elsewhere anyway obviously that's not the case for a lot of places like for us we can't start like that because that's a huge infrastructure that we don't have right now so the way that we can reduce that is working with our vendors to make sure that the packaging they do use is better for the environment than what they would be using otherwise. Now that can look at anything from biodegradable packaging to returnable packaging to circular packaging. And all of those various different things are becoming more and more mainstream, stream, mainstreamized. I don't know what the word is, <laughs> more mainstream um, as we sort of see more companies innovating in that space as well. So what's really exciting from our perspective is that particularly as Hugo mentioned earlier with circular sort of delivery solutions is that the ability to drop something off and and that's you know you receive that but then actually you can send that back and have it refilled and use the same packaging and actually that packaging is never in, in a sort of consistent uh, state of being reused and repurposed um, as well as probably being made out of a better material anyway so i think that yes you need to be conscious of the fact that you're producing more packaging because you're not just picking something off the store shelf and then like taking it home you're actually having to wrap it up and send it in delivery um but like i say there are lots of different options there which will make that more of an you know or less of an impactful um uh, part of the sh shipping process um than, than one would think and these are actually additional costs either for the vendor or for the person buying from the vendor um, and we see at the moment the price is increasing um, a lot because of corona the ukraine crisis and so on so prices are increasing uh, across europe um, are people still willing to invest a bit more to save the environment I think one thing that we've noticed um, in our research is that you're absolutely right. So the sort of like awareness and intent to shop more sustainably or spend more on sustainable products tends to sort of like dip when there are other crises around. So whether that's an economic crisis or an energy crisis or whatever it might be. But it is also 
always staying within the top three or at least very high in the intent of consumers. And the reason for that is that we're all very aware of the fact that the climate crisis is getting more and more intense. Yeah. And particularly as we start to feel those impacts now in the West as well, it's sort of, you can't turn a blind eye to it anymore. So we're all aware that we need to start doing something and pressuring companies to change as well. But, but also the other argument there is that it's actually not more expensive in the longer term. So yes, you might have to cash out more on that initial purchase. But again, because it's a refillable product, because it lasts longer and it's better made, it's made with better materials, it's better quality, and it's sort of taking into account not just the environment, but also ethics as well. So fair labour rights and you know making sure the supply chain is ethical. All of those things accumulated make that purchase a much more efficient and economically efficient purchase than just buying something because of the price tag in the initial purchase. Uh, and what we've seen definitely is that consumers who make that initial purchase and then go on to buy the refills of that product, whatever it may be, um, or if they if it's a product which isn't refillable and just lasts a longer time, actually, they're not having to spend the same amount of money over that period of time as they would have been otherwise. Um, so it's really important for us as a, as a company to communicate that as well, because the, the general assumption, as you say, is that, oh, it's more expensive to shop sustainably. But actually what we're seeing now is that it's becoming more efficient to shop sustainably over that period. Yeah. And, and just to add to that, I think on two points, there's uh, one point is that sustainable products um, price point is coming down as well. You know, we're seeing lots of really affordable brands, especially in the UK now, um, that are really offering um you know, those lower price point solutions for, for customers, which is very exciting, especially for us. We're, we're really focused on making the movement more accessible to more people. So that's that's really exciting. And on the other point, um, again, talking about um, uh, cheap versus, you know, long lasting products. I think I've had so many conversations with people in the last two years um, where they just say, I, you know, I've had that experience of buying something from, you know, Amazon, Alibaba, whatever it is, Wish.com. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not trying to not trying to get them all on, on our backs right now. Just I know what you want to say. <laughs> but you know, I've had so many people say I've had such a disappointing experience. You know, this thing that I bought because it was a bit cheaper, it's just fallen apart. And and I've had that as well, you know, buying certain things which are harder to buy more sustainably, that's like a keyboard or something like that. They just don't work and they fall apart. And I think there's a huge, huge opportunity there to promote the fact that, you know, look, it's the false economy um, idea. So like, you know, spending a little bit more upfront will actually last and, and be better quality over time. I really love how you guys explained this because this really is um, an, an, an eye opener and uh, you, you look at things different. And this is what, what um, yeah, what, what I think people will, uh, will, will love and be part of the community to, to really get this uh, well up. And what I, saw is you have already signed up 100 and have 700 prospective businesses to add to the platform. What criteria must companies meet before they are added to your platform? Yeah, great, great question. Yeah, so we have over 110 brands that have sort of gone through expression of interest and now going through vetting to sort of come onto the platform. Um, to get onto the platform, there's sort of three stages. So first, you, of course, need to sort of express that you want to sell on the platform um, and, and just go through a couple of eligibility checks on that as well to do with, you know, 
varying things from insurance to um, to sort of like where you're distributing your goods from and those various things. But the way the, the sort of main bulk of coming onto the platform with our vetting process is, as you say, through that criteria. And we look at three different areas. So we look at the company first. Um, so that looks at the ethics of the company, the sustainability of the company rather than the products itself. Um, and they'll be asked a number of questions based within that section um everything from sort of their fair labor rights all the way to their waste management schemes and they can provide evidence for that and then you go on to their products um and their products are, we're looking at sort of again how they're made and the materials that are used but also sort of what that product constitutes of whether it's vegan biodegradable compostable etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, and we would require evidence again to prove those points um so that we can sort of back them up and promote them as better and more ethical products as well and then the third point is um actually on that material data so one of the unique things for greener as a platform is that we provide that data on carbon emissions water waste and plastic waste so for us we ask for the material composition of a product so if it's a bamboo toothbrush we ask you know the weightage of the bamboo or whatever the bristles are made of um, so that we can then run that compare that against um, something of a mainstream counterpart so you know a plastic toothbrush from you know colgate or, or whoever and that allows us to see whether that product is quantifiably better than the other type and, and that's a really good way for us but also for the people who are going to buy that product to understand why that product is better so once you've gone through those three varying sort of vetting processes then it's just about providing the evidence for them and then onboarding through the platform so that's the sort of the bulkiest part is just going through the vetting and i think pretty much all vendors and brands that we've worked with so far understand that if we're going to make sustainable mainstream then we have to do the heavy lifting for the consumer and that means taking the time to vet a brand properly and efficiently and do our due diligence otherwise we could be called out for you know not having done the work uh, so for us it's really important that we go through those stages and, and that's the sort of there's a broad set of criteria within that that a company could fall into and a threshold which of course they have to meet as well it's a bunch of work yeah. Yeah. i mean that's it's really something yeah. to do here if you wear for all the products how can you prevent from greenwashing that's why we ask for evidence ultimately yeah. Okay, so, so you really yeah, prove that. Yeah, we don't want sort of a claim which can't be backed up. So mm. that, that could be evidence in the form of like a third party certification, or it could be evidence in that they've done tests, or they can provide, a, you know, an ingredients list or, or whatever it might be. Um, and essentially, that allows us to then sort of <clears throat> check off our own due diligence on that product um, in a very efficient and then sort of swift process um which doesn't rely on us having to go into the company and do a huge huge audit on that company yeah we, we've done a lot of work in defining what those what those accreditations are on our platform so if it says uh, it's made from recycled materials it is 100 recycled we've seen a lot of green claims uh, made over the last year really um that are just false so um, you know there's been huge fashion brands like boohoo That are being investigated by the uh, Competition and Markets Authority in the UK. Um, ever since the Green Claims Code was published by the UK um, authorities uh, in January. Um, so we're already seeing kind of action taken against companies that aren't really meeting that. So one of the things we wanted to do from the beginning was um, really back all of that up and, and, and go above and beyond. Um, and I would just say, you know, I, I'm not going to name any names, but there are there are other eco-friendly sort of a few other eco-friendly platforms out there in the UK. And And very few of them really do that. Um, and that's one thing that we just look at and, and, and think, you know, 
that really to us is is the bare minimum in, in terms of communicating that to the customer um, and making it super clear. And I think you know we've we've basically got a uh, you know we've eye ironclad against greenwashing this. Mm-hmm. So it's really you check the products, you really do your due diligence, as you said, and you take care that there's no greenwashing. I really love this approach. I think it's very hard because, of course, you need to be profitable at some time. yeah, And it makes it harder for you, make it hard for you yourself. It's clear, that's good. But what are your competitive advantages against these big players like Amazon? I believe they also have a checkbox already for show me bio products or green products. yeah. Or maybe they come yeah. up with them. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, one of the things that sort of is our defensibility against that is a platform like that will never be able to do it to the same level as a startup can. Um, and and if we've built that into our foundations, we can then scale that up as well. Mm-hmm. So green, uh, so you know, the green. I think it's called the climate friendly badge on Amazon. Um, it, it is just the plainest form of greenwashing because it includes products like you know throwaway wet wipes and single use batteries and. Yeah various products which you just know are not sustainable or better impact but they've been given that badge because of you know some check that amazon have done to claim that that is sustainable and that's not good enough um and you know inevitably that will be called out eventually i mean we've just had the new green claims code um by the by the local authorities here and i think that you know we will start to see claims like that being called out uh, and and essentially you know penalized um because it is misleading and it and it, it it's you know it's a mistruth essentially so for us our defensibility is that we've built that into the foundations of what we do um for amazon to do that on all of their products they would have to get rid of millions of products off of their platform which they're not going to do so if you as a consumer want to make sure that you can shop with trust you want to go somewhere which is transparent and and trustworthy right um so for us it's about making sure we've put that work in and gone above and beyond on the research compared to anyone else on the market and i think you know Of course, I come back again to the fact that we've built internally into the platform data and science-backed data to back up everything we say. So even if um, a product or someone doesn't understand necessarily the terms that are being used, at a simple glance, they can tell that that product has better impact just from its carbon emissions, water waste, and plastic waste. And that is a really good way to quantify that um, for the consumer, for the vendor, but also for us as a platform. And it's something that Amazon isn't about to go and do for every single one of its products on its platform. More would be even a harder job then. Yeah, I fully, yeah, yeah. I fully need to agree. And, and I mean, look, it's easier for platforms like Amazon or Etsy or whoever you look at to go and acquire companies which are doing a good job in a sector that they feel like is a, is a challenger to them rather than trying to do it themselves. And, and, and I think that particularly in our case, because we're so we're quite blunt about the fact that we're challenging sort of those big boy polluters you know we're coming out of that box and saying we're standing up against companies like that we're your home for for sustainable shopping it gives a sense of sort of um challenger-esque but also sort of um trustworthiness within the brand itself as well so then for big companies like 
Amazon, if they ever wanted to challenge that, they would just need to buy someone. And we're, you know, we're in a position where if they wanted to buy us, we can use that to our advantage. We can leverage that to make our movement even more successful, right? And so we're in a position where we're entering a sector which is fragmented, but if you can bring it together, which is our aim and our, and our goal, then actually put yourself in a very strong position to become the next big sustainable marketplace, which is definitely needed because there's a big hole in the market for one of our uh, It's absolutely, yeah. Now you are a UK-based business and sell to UK customers. How soon do you think you'll go global? We'll definitely come to the EU first. Um, that would be sort of within 18 to 24 months. Um, so we're just closing around an investment round now, launching our platform in the UK in autumn. And then we'll sort of spend a year growing and scaling and bringing on brands from the UK to to sort of distribute and sell on our platform. And that will allow us to build out other features on the platform as well, and also make sure that we've refined the actual process of selling and buying on the platform. And then what that means is we can then go and raise again, and that will be to scale and to expand. So at that point, we'll come to the EU, um, and that will start as a sort of like rollout across different areas and regions at a time at a time, you know, each time um, sort of coming to a new area. And the thing for us is that the reason that we decided to allow only sort of brands that distribute from the UK to sell to UK customers on our platform is that it allows us to make it as sustainable as possible in terms of distribution since we don't have the fulfillment you know capability like Amazon mm. does for example yeah. and until we have that capability we can't offer that same sort of distribution network unless it's localized so for when we expand to the EU we will be obviously reviewing and making sure that we can bring the same feasibility and accessibility to the consumers in the EU as much as we can in the UK and that will be a rollout situation obviously once we've done the EU then you know Well, it's our oyster, and if that goes well, then we'll, we look to sort of expand globally. Um, but for us, you know, we started in the UK. Obviously, the UK and the EU have such similar regulations. Despite the UK leaving the EU, um, we're still able to sort of learn a lot and take a lot from working with the EU previously. So it allows us to then come into the EU in a much stronger position um, than if we were to just sort of try and do everything at once. Got it. Good. Good answer. One question that is important for our audience because it's the Ecom Ops podcast is always yeah. about automation. How much uh, or how important is automation um, at Greener? I mean, I, I'll let Hugo come in on this, but I think just a quick point is that it's hugely important from the processes of making our jobs easier. <laughs> um, you know, if we're trying to do every single thing manually, it takes a lot of time and it's going to take, you know, we're not going to be able to scale the business. We're just going to be bogged down in the actual processes and operations of the business. So I'd recommend to anyone who's <clears throat> building an e-commerce business or a marketplace to look at what platforms and integrations you can use to make that automation super easy and streamlined, whether that's from email marketing to order processing. Um, but Hugo has more experience with this because he sort of is building out the whole flows for every notification ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously, as a marketer, you know, automation is your friend um, and really sets you up for growth and, you know, takes out some of that manual work. Um, we're doing a crowdfunder right now um, and you know every new investor and every new kind of register of interest and all that kind of stuff it's great having all of that auto automated um, but obviously the, the, we talked a lot about vetting and verifying our brands and you know I think that uh, is sort of semi-automated right now but we'd love to automate that, that further 
um, to some degree, you want it to be a personal, personalized process. And you want to take vendors through through that journey and, and help them on the way, which is, uh, as we talked about community earlier, really something that we're, we're focusing on at the moment. And, and that's something we can do, you know, as a small agile team, that makes sense. Um, but again, we would love to sort of automate that further and it gets, you know, it gets into really exciting territory where that can go. Um, and also just, just, just making our lives easier on some of those manual tasks. Um, but yeah, so I think, I think that is really the key place for us and, you know, where we're, we're looking at kind of innovation in the future. Cool. Thank you. Guys, last question for the day. Who has taught you the most about e-commerce in your career? I think we probably both agree that it's Nathan Lomax. <laughs> um, I mean, we speak to a lot of people in the sector just generally because we work with a hell of a lot of people anyway. Um, and there's great people who work with amazing sort of founders and operators like um, Chloe Thomas, who runs another podcast. Um, she's fantastic and she just knows a lot about the sector anyway. But Nathan is one of our advisors. He works for a Shopify Plus agency, scaling Shopify brands. Um, but just generally, he's worked in the e-commerce sector for the better half of, you know, a decade. And I think even longer than that now. And I think that that experience and advisory that has taught us what is good and the connections that come through that and talking about automation, the various different sort of platforms that we can integrate into our platform that he already knows about, makes our lives so much easier than having to work out all those things from from scratch. Um, so that's definitely what I would say. I don't know if you guys... Yeah, that, I was going to say, Nathan, I think yeah, he's a great guy who connected with a lot, lot of people. But on a wider point, I think it's very easy to get caught up in, or oh, I've learned a lot about this, you know, X thing. And, and, and we're seeing that with kind of um, job roles in, in, especially in tech, you know, and, and, but also in marketing. I see that a lot, you know, product marketing, um, you know, brand marketing, growth marketing. Oh. At the end of the day, I, I, I look all of that and, and I think, you know, it's, it's marketing. It's, it's all the same thing. And um, I think when it comes to talking about learning about e-commerce, it's really about learning about human nature. It's about learning about storytelling, understand, understanding your customer. Um, and, you know, I think being in tune with what customers want in 2022, um, I think that's something that we've really tapped into. And, and you know, that's, that's uh, sort of that wider um, thing about learning, which I think is always important to, to keep keep badgering on about, is it's about learning how we work as humans, and, and that's something that we're we're always looking to improve ourselves on. Awesome from our customers, learning from the customers. Yeah, thank you very much, guys. It was really, really a pleasure talking to you. Um, Greener seems to be a perfect fit product uh, and 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 a great project um, that that will save the environment or help to save the environment by choosing the right products, giving it to the right audience. And um, yeah, I, I, I what I really learned today and uh, changed my my thinking a bit as well is that the fact that also local businesses sort of that, that in the head of the peoples it seems that they, they say okay the the online businesses are are more harmful to the environment than local businesses but actually it's either equal or even the way around and this will the future will show that of course and and there will be statistics and analysis and what else and reports to um to to prove that or not but thinking about that is something that maybe can change the mind of some people. Of course, local businesses still need to be supported. We need those businesses. We need those jobs. Um, we want to go somewhere looking at products in real and taking them from there. But yeah. e-commerce is actually not bad. It helps us. And it helped us during the last years. And it will still grow. And uh, yeah, this is great. If, if there is a new marketplace where we can buy green. 
Thank you very much. Thanks, you Norbert. Good luck, guys. Thank you very much. And that's it for this episode of the Ecom Ops Podcast. If you enjoyed listening and would like us to find and interview more e-commerce operations experts, please search for Ecom Ops Podcast in your favorite podcast listening app and then subscribe, rate, and review. Until next time. 